0: And what's the next BZ item up for bid? It's a new 55-inch LED TV from Samsung that retails for $3,500. The bid goes for one penny by Luxie, followed by a bid by JK. Now Maxi, then Jenna, and JK is back. And so is Maxie. We're up to 10 cents. What competitive bidding action. It looks like it's an auto bz war between JK and Maxi. These guys have been at it for the past dollar.
1: BZ.com is the original auction shopping source to save up to 99% off retail on a huge selection of brand name electronics, collectibles, jewelry, travel, and more. Products from company like Apple, Samsung, Sony, Ford, and way more at discounts you won't believe. Jenna
0: just used a BZ Sniper bid, resetting the timer again, and Jenna wins the TV for $38.56. What excitement! Come on over to BZid.com today where there's over 600 items up for bid every single day. Go to BZid.com, use offer code USA, and get two for one on your first bid pack purchase. New members get 10 free bids. Use offer code USA. Go to BZid.com. That's B-E-E-Z-I-D.com.
2: You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at HouseOfCardsRadio.com.
1: You know what cheers me up? What? Rolled-up aces over kings.
0: Ladies and gentlemen... Boys and girls, the House of Cards. Today,
2: the game is different with author and professional poker player Ashley Adams. Okay, you
0: have some skin.
3: Hello, listeners. Welcome to House of Cards. I'm Ashley Adams. We got a great show. Uh, sometimes we end up with guests that are so good we just cannot let them go. Uh, In the normal 20 minutes or so, or even less, we keep them for the whole show. And that's the case today. We have the world-class player, Jonathan Little, who's also incredibly insightful as a teacher and as a writer. He's just written his third book, Secrets of Professional Tournament Poker, Volume 3, The Complete Workout. We're going to talk to him about his book, about what makes a professional poker player a professional poker player, bankroll management, all sorts of things. I urge you to stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back with Jonathan Little.
2: Heading out to Vegas for the World Series of Poker or just hitting the strip for a vacation? Check out playerrooms.com before you go. With PlayerRooms.com, you can book a room at the beautiful LVH, formerly the Las Vegas Hilton, between May 15th and July 30th for only $36 a night. Same rate every night, even Friday and Saturdays. That's $36 a night between May 15th and July 30th. PlayerRooms.com. A great room at a great price. Book it today.
1: Fellas, are you looking to spice things up in the bedroom?
2: Don't just listen to House of Cards. Now you can be part of the show with the House of Cards Hotline. Comments about the show, poker questions, you just want us to know about great places to play, or you just got bluffed out of a pot. Your messages may even be played on the air. Give us a call at 609-474-HOCR. That's 609-474-4627. The House of Cards Hotline, available 24 hours a day. By leaving a message with House of Cards, you can send to having your message played on the air. You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards radio network. Check us out at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. Wake up, poker fans! You're listening to House of Cards.
3: Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards, and we are joined by a really top-flight major league poker player, Jonathan Little. Jonathan has won two World Poker Titles, including the 2008 World Poker uh, World World Poker Tour World Poker Finals Championship, where he won over a million dollars, and the 2007 World Poker Tour Mirage Poker Showdown, where he won over a million dollars. He's uh, incredibly successful, and he is now a very successful author as well. We're here to talk to him about Secrets of Professional Tournament Poker, Volume 3, The Complete Workout. Jonathan, are you there?
4: I am here. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
3: Well, we're glad to have you, and I'm eager to get right into it. Why don't you tell our listeners what this book is and how it's different from Volumes 1 and Volumes 2?
4: Well, Volumes 1 and 2 are written sort of to be a general guide on how I play poker and how I think about poker and the poker life in general. And, you know, I lay out basic strategy and I discuss how you vary it based on your opponents and whatnot. And I talk about how to sort of live as a poker player. And then in this volume, this is, this book is basically about 150 hand examples where I go over numerous hands that I play throughout big buying events and then also some smaller buying events. And I, laid it out in a quiz format such that the players and the readers can go through and read every hand and think about it as if they are me sitting in that spot playing it. And I think that's a good way to learn, to go through other people's hands. And, uh, you know, it's, it's set, up, set up in a multiple-choice format such that the player can almost, like, check a yes box. Like, yeah, I want to answer this answer. And, um, and then I go through all the, all the options and discuss which ones are good and bad and which ones have merit.
3: Well, i got to tell our listeners, I read through this book, I read about two or three dozen different hands that you played, uh, scored it myself, found that I was disappointed in how (laughs) I did not score tens in most of my answers, and I found it very helpful, very instructive, and I want to get to some of the hands. But before I do, I had a couple of more general questions I wanted to ask you, Jonathan, because okay. you've spent a lot of your time writing about your, your poker lifestyle, um, and I'm curious to know what you think would be the two or three traits that a professional, a high-level professional poker player like yourself has developed that somebody who's an amateur or not yet ready to step up to the highest games uh, that they lack. What would be the distinguishing characteristics of the way you play versus the way a good player but not a real top-flight professional player plays?
4: I think a lot of the best players realize that every play has some amount of equity, whether or not it works, and because of that, they don't really beat themselves up whenever things go poorly. And I'm actually going to be uh, coaching a class at 7 o'clock tonight where I'm I'm going to be talking about variance a little bit at the end of it, and I feel like a lot of... Good players that have had decent results, especially in the short run, sort of expect to have good results. Whereas good players don't really expect anything. They, or, you know, the best players they don't expect anything. They show up and they know they're going to play their best, and they realize that maybe you know you get a string of plays that don't work out, and that's okay. And then you know they live life happily. Whereas you see a lot of other poker players who are you know they're, they have good results, they played pretty well, but they're always sad and upset and depressed because. You know, when you play tournament poker, more often than not, you are going to lose. That's the nature of the game. And I think once people understand that that's how the game works, they can focus on things that matter, like actually improving and focusing on everything that happens at the table instead of thinking something like, oh, man, I hope I don't bust because then I'm going to be down another X amount of dollars. And, you know, good players don't think about stuff like that. They just put themselves in the moment, play the situations, and make the best play basically every time.
3: Well, they trust in their ability enough not to get uh, too exercised about losing streaks, I suppose. But what, what give, give me yeah, that's some definitely true or sorry, go ahead. No, 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 that's all right. I, I was just wondering what kind of variance does a pro expect? I mean, if you were to play for 20 weeks in a row and find that you're losing more than you're winning, don't you at some point say, hey, maybe there is something really wrong with my game and start to doubt yourself?
4: Well, it depends a lot on the game you're playing, actually. I mean, if you're playing some sort of format where, like cash games, for example, if you're playing cash games and you lose for 20 weeks in a row, then, yeah, you're not, probably not playing well because and those you are probably, if you're a good player, maybe you're going to win something like 66% of your sessions if your opponents are you know, reasonable. Whereas in something like tournaments, it depends entirely on how big the fields are. If you're playing a tournament with ten people, then yeah, if you lose over the course of twenty weeks consistently, then you then something's going wrong. But if you're playing tournaments that have a thousand people in them, then yeah, I mean you have to realize if you're playing, playing a tournament per day for twenty for twenty weeks, that's not that many days. It's maybe a hundred tournaments or something like that. Right. And if you're only playing a hundred tournaments and you're only going to win one in a 1,000 times if you're breaking even. I mean, you, you see that you're only going to win a tournament one per 20-week block on average. And certainly you can go you can go with no first seconds or thirds in the course of 20 weeks, and that's just the nature of variance. So I think what a lot of po- poker players don't realize is that there is a lot of variance in tournament poker, and, and in order to make tournaments a very successful game for you either you have to play very high stakes or you have to put in a lot of volume and i think a lot of players simply don't put in the volume necessary to make it
3: after the break we'll be back with jonathan little
0: And what's the next BZ item up for bid? It's a new 55-inch LED TV from Samsung that retails for $3,500. The Facebook goes for one penny by Luxie, followed by a bid by JK. Now Maxi, then Jenna, and JK is back. And so is Maxi. We're up to 10 cents. What competitive bidding action. It looks like it's an auto bz war between JK and Maxi. These guys have been at it for the past dollar.
1: BZ.com is the original auction shopping source to save up to 99% off retail on a huge selection of brand name electronics, collectibles, jewelry, travel, and more. Products from Companies like Apple, Samsung, Sony, Ford, and way more. At discounts you won't believe. Jenna
0: just used a BZ Sniper bid, resetting the timer again. And Jenna wins the TV for $38.56. What excitement! Come on over to BZ.com today where there's over 600 items up for bid every single day. Go to BZid.com, use offer code USA, and get two for one on your first bid pack purchase. New members get 10 free bids. Use offer code USA. Go to BZid.com. That's beezi dcom Beezid.com Theater 5 presents A House of Cards
4: But are we cool? Not really Welcome
3: back, listeners I'm joined on the phone by... An extraordinary poker player, Jonathan Little. So poker players, big-name poker players who go broke, are not as good as the public thinks they are or have terrible money management or both or something else?
4: I I think for most good poker players, that should be considered good. They, by default, don't go broke unless they are... Just huge degenerate gamblers or whatever. I mean, it, I think part of being a good poker player is not going broke. I mean, I've been nowhere near close to going broke despite having quite a few bad down swings And that's because I manage my money decently well. You know, I'm not out blowing it on random stuff and I'm not playing random super high roller events where, you know, I probably do have an edge, but it's not worth it to risk, you know, whatever, call it like say 10% of your bankroll for any one tournament. And because of that, I'm it's like basically impossible for me to go broke, where you see a lot of other guys constantly risking going broke. And I remember back when I used to play a lot of sit-and-go's, um, that was my pure source of income, was playing sit-and-go tournaments. And there was a little stat called risk of ruin, and you always wanted to make sure you keep that risk of ruin at something, at something like 0.1% or whatever, so it basically never happens. And in order to do that, you needed to keep a huge amount of buy-ins. And no one really thought that you needed something like 400 buy-ins to play sit and goes. but it turns out you do if you want to make it impossible for you to go broke. So, so do, I've tried to do that in multi-table tournaments as well, and I haven't really had too many issues.
3: So you're you're almost exclusively a tournament player, or do you also play cash these days?
4: Well, now, um, in order to make sure I get a decent amount of volume in, because I don't really play too much online anymore, whenever I go to play a poker tournament, to, to a tournament stop, I'll usually stay around a few days after the tournament or get there a few days before the tournament to play cash games. So I try to utilize my time decently well while I'm at a tournament stop. Whereas in the past, maybe... Like, say I go to play a poker tournament, I would just play the poker tournament and not worry about anything else because I knew I could always go back home and play online. Now I make a point to play cash games because it makes sense to utilize the time well while I'm actually at the poker stop.
3: I see. Well, that makes sense. Uh, Have you ever figured out or thought about what kind of a bankroll a winning player needs for different state games if he wants to have – a very small risk of ruin for a cash game?
4: Well, it depends. Again, it depends on a lot of things. Um, they, I know, for example, a lot of players play small, like say you're playing 1-2-0 no limit. I know at the place like Commerce Casino, the maximum and the minimum buy-in is something like $40. You can buy in for 40 and that's it. Yeah, that's absurd. And in a game like that, if I say you need 30 buy-ins, you're almost certain to go broke. Whereas if you're playing a game like 10 at Bellagio, and you can buy in for, say, 300 big blinds, 30 300 big blind buy-ins is going to be probably more than enough. So it depends on the, the amount of big uh, blinds you're buying in for, because that's going to determine how many or how many buy-ins you expect to swing on a regular basis. Um, but I would say something like 3,000 big blinds is a, a low number, but probably a reasonable number if you're a very good player. And if you want to make it easier on yourself, make it something like, 7,000 big blinds, so it's going to be pretty tough to lose.
3: 7,000 big blinds so that if you're going to play 10-20, you'd need $140,000 bankroll?
4: Yeah, and that's actually probably on the low side.
3: For, for I mean, this, ten, this, twenty 10 limit? Yeah, assuming, you're talking about no, no, no limit or limit?
4: No no limit. Not Yeah, I mean, do <laughs> too many people play limit hold them anymore?
3: <laughs> there still are a lot of low-limit limit games, but...
4: Well, if we, if we want to talk about limit, yeah. For limit, you need something like, assuming you never want to go broke and the rake is not absurd. If the rake's absurd at your game, then it's going to be impossible to beat anyway. Right. But assuming you're actually trying to grind out a living playing the game, you can expect to make something like, um, what is it, one big blind? Yeah, one big blind per hour. Or it three big blinds per hour. What is it? In it used
3: to be two big three. blinds an hour, but now I think it's pretty much, at the bigger games, it's one big blind if you have any decent opposition.
4: Yeah, yeah, okay. I think it was something like three big blinds per hour online and one big blind per hour live. So, uh, you know, if you're, if you're playing 3-6 limit, you're, you're not going to make a whole lot of money playing that game, and that should be pretty common sense, especially once you take out a rake. But anyway, for limit, assuming you don't want to go to market, you probably need something like 500 big blinds. Yeah. And that would be enough. But And that's just because the there aren't that many big pots that really matter. You're going to make your money from just grinding out one big blind per hour. Right. At a relatively consistent rate, whereas a no-limit hold'em, it's not abnormal to be up or down 300 big blinds over the course of a day, whereas that's pretty tough to do in-limit. It's basically impossible to do in-limit.
3: Right. But that does mean that if you're going to try to play 1-2 no-limit, you still need $10,000, $14,000 to be pretty assured that you'll never go broke. Yeah, and that's... Which is something more than most.
4: Don't want to really think about. Right. I mean, I, I tell a lot of people that assuming you're actually really good at poker, you probably need something like thirty thousand big blinds. That's going to be plenty. Yeah. But again, I mean, I, I sure wouldn't play a game if I knew I could not move down. Which you know you can move down, so that makes things easier. And also that you know, I, I basically if I could only play this one game for the rest of my life, how many buy-ins How many big blinds would I say this is how many I need to have to never go broke? That would be what my number would be. Something like. Fourteen thousand dollars, or whatever, in that game. Right, but I mean, for to, for to be reasonably comfortable, maybe six thousand. And even then, you have to realize most players playing one to no, no limit can easily reload their bankroll. And if you can reload your bankroll, it doesn't really matter because it's not an actual real bankroll because you can replenish it.
3: I I understand yeah. that. That's right. That Mike Carroll used to talk about that.
4: A yeah. Lot. So. I mean, so say say you're just the recreational. Well,
3: wait player, one second. Say, I just wanna I want to reintroduce you so our listeners know who we're talking to. Uh, we're talking to Jonathan Little, and we're talking about his new book, Secrets. We actually haven't gotten to talking to him about this, but Secrets of Professional Tournament Poker, Volume Three: The Complete Workout. Sorry to have interrupted.
4: <laughs> no problem. Um, but yeah, so say you're pla- say you have say you're an amateur player and you want to play one two no limit at your casino. You shouldn't be obsessive about, oh, man, I don't have $6,000 therefore I can't play it because it doesn't really matter how much you have. You can make you know, another 200 or $400 relatively easily at your job, and it doesn't bother you that much. However, if, say, losing $400 would be detrimental to you, you should probably play smaller and actually try to work up a bankroll. And I kind of suggest that everyone start trying to grow a bankroll right off the bat. You know, you'll see a lot of players, they'll play one-to-no-limit, and then they'll win, say, 500 bucks or something. Then they'll go play 2 5 the next day, try to run it up. And all that really does is teach you to gamble. And if you want to be an actual poker player, you want to do everything except to gamble. Because if you find yourself gambling consistently, you're going to end up having huge swings, and you're probably not going to make it. Or maybe you do make it, and you're that one in a thousand guy that does great. But, yeah, you really don't want to put it to like a one in a thousand-luck chance that right. you...
3: Unless unless your goal is to have fun rather than to make money, and you are living on the thrill of the money riding. And we love players like that in our games. And I don't want to discourage anyone from doing that because, let's be honest, very few people in the world are really going to seriously make a living at poker. It's a very, very small percentage of those who play. And it's certainly a legitimate reason to play, which is to have entertainment, and gambling is a form of entertainment for most people as opposed to something to avoid. Um, and if it weren't for those who really liked to gamble, those of us who make consistently money at this game wouldn't have good games to play. So I don't, you know, I don't discourage folks and I realize that we're talking to an audience of people who want to get better and the, the biggest way to get better is to treat it as something that's serious as opposed to just entertainment, but I also don't want folks to think that that's the only way to go.
4: Well, yeah, it depends on what you want to get out of any any game or any activity whatsoever. You know, like say say you're going to a movie, and instead of actually going to see the movie, you want to cause a ruckus. You can get up and yell in front of the movie theater. That's what you feel like doing. You know, go for it. But that's not why I go to the movies. And well, the reason I play poker is not to get a thrill. And, I, I, and most people who come to me, they don't come to me to learn whenever they come to me to learn to play poker, they don't come to me like, Okay, I'm trying to gamble real hard <laughs> and make bad plays. What can I do to do this even more?
3: So? <laughs> How can I have so, more fun? Well, you know what you should do is drink. Drink a lot. That really yeah, helps drink the... a lot.
4: <laughs> uh, and and then go play blackjack because you'll have a better return on your money, which is, you know, negative, but it'll be less negative. I mean and I mean, in all honesty, if you're a really huge losing poker player, you're gonna be much better off playing almost any other casino game. That's but, true. I mean, it depends on what we're trying to. If we're trying to tell people the thing to get the most value out of their dollar, assuming they're really bad at poker, they should probably go play a different game.
3: Right. They'd be even better with slots. They'd only be losing 10% uh, or 8% to the house as opposed to a much larger percentage when you add in the rake and the good players that are winning money from you.
4: Yeah, I mean, giving poker advice in general is sort of an interesting concept because in theory I don't really want anyone to be better at poker because – that's going to cut into my win rate somehow long run. Like I'm sure the books I've written and the training videos I've made, well, I know for a fact people tell me, they tell me that they've read my books and stuff at the table, which means they know my game at least somewhat better than they would have known it otherwise. And to me, it's worth a little bit of a sacrifice. So I can allow other people to get more enjoyment out of the game and the way that I get enjoyment out of the game and, and that they work hard, they study at it and they try to analytically think about the best plays every time and everyone who likes to gamble, I definitely have no problem with that because I understand that side of it as well.
3: You know, but I I think, frankly, I I have a somewhat more perverse view of teaching people how to play poker, Jonathan, and I wonder if you've ever thought about this. I think poker books and, to a lesser extent, maybe poker videos and any kind of poker instruction create the impression on those who are trying to learn that they – can master this game and become profitable and proficient at it. And while that certainly is true, you and I both know that's true with some people. There are some very good students who take the lesson seriously, study, apply, look at their results, talk to their friends that know how to play, and and they actually improve their game. I know that there are at least ten times as many people who purchase books, who think they're getting better at poker, who don't really study or apply what they've learned, but they continue to play poker thinking that almost by osmosis, by owning a book or scanning the table of contents, they are somehow absorbing the information. And and for those people, and I think they're the vast majority of people who say they're students of the game, they're like a, a child that gets a spoke wrench. Do you know about that? That bike stores, I don't know if you ever were into biking, but bike stores used to, when they sold the bicycle, or even to just casual people that would come in, they would give a spoke wrench. And the spoke wrench is a wonderful tool that you can use to true your own wheel. If you learn systematically how to apply it, you can actually avoid having to take your bike in to the bike shop to get your wheels trued. You can true them yourself. But in the hands of a novice, that spoke wrench is going to put your wheel so out of true You'll never get it straight, and you'll have to almost certainly take it into a bike store to fix it, which is where they get some extra profit. And I think, again, this is admittedly a more perverse view than uh, than yours, I think writing poker books, which I've done a little of and you've done a fair amount of, gets a lot of people to think that they're now good at poker, and they go to a poker room to apply what they've learned or not really learned, and it's to the profit of those who really are good because... Most of the people who think they know how to play really don't. Um,
4: Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with that. I talk a lot lot about that in both Volume 1 and Volume 2 of my book, which is why I don't really lay out any sort of hard and set strategy because I see a lot of poker books, they lay out a strategy, and they say, this is what you need to do to win. But that's not really how poker works. The The way poker works is you have to base your strategy completely on your opponents, and every opponent is different. And... The goal of my books is to teach people how to learn to actually play poker, not how to learn some sort of system to, you know, remember and then do it over and over again. And I think a lot of people want some sort of system. And they're always – I mean, I've been – had a lot of people, particularly very beginner players, who have been disappointed with my books because they're like, where's the system? There's nowhere telling me exactly what to do everywhere.
3: Right. Where's the starting hand list?
4: Right. I mean, there is – very little of a starting hand chart in my book at all i mean I, I talk about basic opening ranges but i definitely make it very clear that it's completely dependent on your opponents and i think if you learn to play poker i think you can pretty much make it in the poker world especially if you're willing to game select intelligently but if you read some books and then you know memorize some system that system is going to become obsolete at some point point. and i think that's I mean, if you take a book like Harrington on Hold'em, which was an excellent book when it came out, if you play kind of tight like you suggest in today's game, you're going to get run over and you almost, I mean, you're probably going to be a small winner and not a big winner. And the goal of my books was to make players big winners. And the way you do that is by learning to think for yourself. And that's sort of the whole purpose of the book is to learn to think for yourself.
3: We'll be right back.
2: Hey, Jersey, we want to hear from you. Send us an email at info at houseofcardsradio.com or leave a message at our hotline at 609-474-4627. Heading out to Vegas for the World Series of Poker or just hitting the strip for a vacation? Check out playerrooms.com before you go. With playerrooms.com, you can book a room at the beautiful LBH formerly the Las Vegas Hilton, between May 15th and July 30th for only $36 a night. Same rate every night, even Friday and Saturdays. That's $36 a night between May 15th and July 30th. PlayerRooms.com. A great room at a great price.
3: Book it today. Hi, listeners. This is Ashley Adams, professional poker player, author, and host of House of Cards. You can all, wherever you're listening to our show, we're now blanketing the United States, you can send in your questions or comments about the show to info at houseofcardsradio.com, and you can also get our tweets on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash hocradio. Info at houseofcardsradio.com and www.twitter.com
2: slash HOC Radio. Hey, this is Dave Weishadol from House of Cards with your House of Cards Gaming Report for the week of August 26, 2013. Two men pled guilty last week in a New York courtroom on charges of illegally operating high-stakes poker games. Kirk Hill, Rappaport, and William Barbalot pled guilty to the charge of traveling in interstate commerce in aid of operating an illegal poker game. The two men were among 34 people arrested in a sting last April. Prosecutors say that the operation laundered over $100 million from illegal gambling and poker games. A software glitch in an electronic dice machine caused the Aqueduct Resorts World Casino in Queens, New York to lose over $100,000. According to the machine's manufacturer, the flaw allowed players to increase their potential purse size while wagering virtually nothing. The matter was reported to the New York State Gaming Commission, which immediately yanked the machines from the five racetracks that it offered them. SHFL Entertainment, the manufacturer of the game, will have to repay the Racino for the losses. And finally, the press of Atlantic City reported the Las Vegas gambling mogul Steve Wynn is interested in jumping into the emerging New Jersey internet gambling market. In fact, the paper has reported that Wynn has filed applications with the New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement for an internet gambling license. You may remember that only seven months ago, Wynn labeled the Atlantic City as, quote, the enemy. Welcome to New Jersey, Mr. Wynn. Have any news or tips regarding casinos, gaming, or legislation? Send us an email at newsroom at houseofcardsradio.com and follow us on Twitter at HOCRadio. Great moments in history. In 1591, Sir Walter Raleigh was imprisoned in the Tower of London for insulting Queen Elizabeth I.
0: I too can command the wind, sir! I have a hurricane in me that will strip Spain bare if you dare to try me! Well,
2: I'd love to stay in Chad, but you're a total bitch. In June 2008, House of Cards began podcasting. Go to HouseofCardsRadio.com and click on the podcast button for all recent show downloads. You're listening to the House of Cards. This was what I was meant to do. This was where I was
3: supposed to be. Movie stars in Hollywood, politicians in Washington,
2: gamblers in
3: Vegas, yeah. and all is right with the world. Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. Do You You said you were teaching. Do you coach individual? Do you do uh, boot camp type stuff? What kind of teaching do you do?
4: Uh, I do a little bit of everything. I have a poker training site, FloatTheTurn.com, and there I have a lot of training videos. Every month I do a live webinar where people can get on there and ask me some whatever questions they have.
3: Where are you doing yeah, this?
4: Tell, I'm actually, well, there's a link on my Twitter, but it's, I send out links to this through my email list. If you guys want to get on my email list, you can just email support at floateturn.com.
3: Wait, wait, wait. (laughs) Say that again more slowly.
4: (laughs) Sorry. um, Support at floateturn.com. You can email me there and I'll put you on my email list. Okay.
3: You're doing this on the internet. People are signing on electronically. It's not like you're going to be going down to the palms and doing a lecture.
4: (laughs) No, no, yeah. This is on the internet. And I charge something like $100 for this class, and you get a bunch of bonuses, a bunch of bonus videos as well. I hate that I don't have a link to this, but um, (laughs) that's okay. Whatever. I guess uh, we'll just talk to you about what I'm going to be teaching later. Um, I guess if people want to get a copy of this, they can email support at floatreturn.com, and I can figure out a way to do that.
3: Now tell me again, Um, how much does it cost to access this stuff?
4: Okay, well, this is a a one-off thing. This is like a live class I'm doing one time only. And for stuff like this where it's usually a little bit more exclusive, I usually charge about $100 per person to get in there, and they'll be... You know, I don't know how many people in there. And uh, they will be able to ask their questions live or whatever, so that's, that's good for them. And I, I do these types of things maybe once a month or so. I, I also do uh, a class session thing where I, I have maybe 20 students uh, pay me some amount of money, and then they get to watch every other person, including themselves, have a one-hour session with me. So basically it's like me coaching one-on-one, but I'm doing it with 20 people over the course of 20 hours over three days. And a lot of people tend to like that as well. So that's something that's been very popular. But uh, the cheapest way to get any of my coaching is uh, support. do floattheturn.com. That's only $10 per month, so it's relatively cheap. Yeah. Compared to the other stuff, so it's a little bit more exclusive where you get you know one-on-one attention.
3: Are you going down to the World Series?
4: Yes, definitely. Before that, I'm going to Jacksonville. They have a WPT there in about a week. And then after that, they have a WPT in Montreal, so I'm going to go there. And then after that, I'll be going to the World Series.
3: Do you tend to play uh, only a small number of events, or do you play as many as your, as your schedule and your winning allows?
4: I'm. Um, it doesn't really matter if I'm winning or losing. I'm, I'm going to go there. I'm going to play a tournament every day.
3: No, no. What I mean is if you if you are winning the tournament, that means that you're there for three days playing that tournament and then, I mean, but if you got busted out the first day, you could go and do another one on the next day. That's what I meant yeah, by you winning. In
4: theory, a lot. I want to play something like eighteen tournaments, but it's probably going to be something like twenty-five, and hopefully, it won't be something like thirty.
3: Do you so focus on the hold'em events, or do you mix it up with Omaha and any of the stud events?
4: I play mostly limit hold'em, no limit hold'em, and pot limit Omaha. Those are the games I have a pretty good amount of experience in. The other games, I kind of feel like if you, unless you're really good at the other games. You're a pretty big underdog, a much and a much bigger underdog than you probably think you are. Because if you look at the final tables of all of these events, like seven card stud and do the seven triple draw and whatever, you know all these, uh, you know all the random games that are not no limit hold'em. You'll find that the same people are making final tables in, the, in these events every year, and it's because they're the best in the world in these games, and no one really gets any practice playing these games. So I kind of feel like even though I may have a positive ROI, and it's like a no-might or better term, which I have some experience in. I'm certainly not world-class, but I can beat a random game of it. I'm, I'm still probably going to have a very little shot of winning a bracelet at it because I don't really know how to play the game that well, and I'll be playing against very, very good player by the time I get to the final table, usually.
3: Right. You don't want to go in just even. You'd like to go in with an advantage, and here you're going in against people who are favored against you. So why do that? There are lots of other options. I right, understand.
4: and you'll find that even in games like No Limit Hold'em, as long as you're competent, you're going to have a shot whenever you get heads up with the guy. Whereas if you're competent but not amazing in some of the other games, you're still going to get crushed slowly but surely in, in some of the other games. Right. Mostly, the, mostly, mostly the limit games.
3: That's the limit.
4: Get in a lot of trouble.
3: The guy that's more skillful has many more opportunities to grind down the less experienced, less skillful player, while in No Limit – uh, because of the volatility, I would guess. You know, if somebody shoves on you and they have a chip advantage, even if you're a world-class player and they're a novice, you could lose it all right there.
4: <laughs> right. I mean, in limit, you're trying to win small little bits. And, I mean, in, in no limit holding, the goal of poker tournaments is, ri- I mean, the way you win it then, is by not risking your stack. And in limit holding, you're not, you're only risking your stack whenever you're down to Four big blinds or something, or five big bets, whatever it is, you know, a relatively small amount, which usually you have maybe two or three times that in a World Series event. So, and no limit hold them, you're effectively at risk every hand, and especially every hand that you get that's decently good. Whereas in limit hold them, you can take a few of those and still be okay. You, know, you can lose a few of those hands and still be okay.
3: Right. Are you thinking you'll play any of the high roller events this year?
4: Um, probably not. Usually, whenever those are going on, there's Almost always, something significantly better going on at a smaller buy-in level. And something kind of cool about whenever the high roller events run is that they're usually fairly tough. And
3: <laughs> they deplete the a lot field. Of good
4: players play them. That's right. And all those all those good players that would normally be in the smaller buy-in event are now playing that event that day. Right. So so that makes the smaller buy-in event proportionally easier.
3: Right. It's when they open up the on my level of play. Uh, when they open up the forty eighty game, then the best twenty forty players go to play forty eighty, and I'm left with weaker twenty forty players. So that's a good thing for me. So when they have the hundred thousand uh, dollar big drop for the big drop or whatever it is this year, uh, it might make the hold'em feel for the regular fifteen hundred dollar or twenty five hundred dollar hold'em tournament all the better because the best players are going to migrate to that huge game. Yeah, yeah that, that makes cool. sense. Well, uh, we have. We have about five minutes left. I would like to have our listeners get the advantage of your expertise, if you don't mind, going through at least a couple or three hands uh, that you lay out in your book, so that uh, they'll know how Jonathan Little thinks through a a couple of poker situations. Can you take us through a couple of hands?
4: Okay, so this is the fourth hand in the book. We this is this hand is from the twenty five thousand dollar buy in WPT Championship. Basically, what I did is I took. Every relevant hand that I played in a twenty-five thousand dollar tournament, a twenty-five hundred dollar tournament, and then a thousand dollar tournament—the uh, two smaller ones are World Series events—and I basically went through and I laid out every hand that I played. There are no final table hands in this book; that's going to be in a in an additional later book. But uh, basically, I just wanted to lay out a, a lot of hand examples where the the players are relatively deep stacked. So in this tournament, we're playing five hundred big blinds deep, which typically doesn't happen in smaller buying tournaments, but I guess we'll talk about that for now. Um, So everyone folds to us. We're in the cutoff seat, which is next to the button. And we have ten nine 9 offsuit. So the question is, do we fold, raise to 525? We're playing playing 100 to 200. Raise to 725 or raise to 1,200. And right here, I think raising just the standard raise of about 2.5 big blinds. About 525 is going to be pretty good. A straightforward guy on the button calls and a young, aggressive kid, in the big blind call. So we take it three ways. Pop, uh, the flop comes Ace 10 6 big blind checks to you. Do we continue Bayesian back or not? And then also how big? I like to bet 800, and they both call. So obviously on Ace 10 6 we're not too happy, right?
2: Right.
3: Not okay, when you so have 10-9. Just to remind our listeners, you're sitting there with 10-9 uh, off suit, so that's not a great flop for you.
4: All right, well, the purpose of the bet in general is to make sure that we don't really get bluffed out of the hand on a later street. and also if we do bet and get called and we peel a 10 or a 9, we can then be pretty happy in a big pot. So lots of good stuff comes from betting, and a lot of bad stuff comes if we check. Because if we check and then someone bets, we pretty much have to fold and we have no shot of winning the hand. But we've induced bluffs, so that's not really what we want. So um, the third question here is what type of hands do we think make up most of the player who overcalled the guy in the big blind, What type of hands makes up his range? And you can pick either premium draws, marginal made hands, some of the random gutshot draws, or nothing. And I doubt he has nothing because it is ace, ten, six. But he certainly could have king, queen, king, jack, queen, jack, seven, eight, eight, seven, seven, eight, nine, seven, et cetera. So I'm, I'm certainly not discounting those.
3: In other words, by saying that, you're saying there are a lot of hands that could have hit nothing.
4: Well, those, those are hands that have gut shot draws, and whenever you're very deep stacked, your opponent could easily have one of those hands and think that if he calls and then gets he hits his, his miracle card, he can get paid off. So those actually are not such bad hands to play because some players won't see those coming, and they'll end up drastically making a huge error. They'll make a huge error because they'll have something like ace-10, and then the turn comes an 8, and they're still willing to put in a ton of money, even though in reality now, ace-10 is just a bluff catcher. And is sort of how hands change values in, in deep stack poker. You're not necessarily trying to make a good but not great hand like two pair. You're trying to make the nuts. And stuff like 9-7 on an ace-10-6 board is not so bad whenever you expect to get paid off.
3: Well, that would be I, that's an open-ended straight draw, right?
4: On ace-10-6, if you have 9-7, no, you need exactly. That's a
3: gut shot, right, gut shot draw. Yeah. Hard for me to picture it when you're saying it.
4: <laughs> yeah, poker hands is a little bit difficult to talk about in radio, but it's much easier to talk about, or as much easier to see in a book, which is why this is in a book and not some sort of audio thing.
3: Right.
4: Um, anyways, on the turn, the turn of a five, which is effectively a blank, and now our opponent in the big blind bets into us for 2200 or 2500 So he bets about two-thirds pot. So the question is now, how do we continue in the hand? And we have to think we have another guy behind us who's yet to act. So that guy probably has an ace almost all the time, or he could have one of the draws as well. When this guy leads, though, it's kind of weird because if he had one of those draws, they almost certainly miss. So I'm kind of thinking he either has some random two pair or he's just taking on a really aggressive line. And I'm actually not opposed to raising, but I decide to fold here because it is early in the term tournament. We don't know what our opponent's capable of. But this is the sort of thing you need to be thinking about. You need to be thinking, okay, so we know our opponent probably doesn't have a great hand. And if he does, and I apply a lot of pressure, can we possibly get this guy to fold his hand? Right. And you always need to consider that type of thing, especially in deep sack tournaments. So while I do end up folding in this spot, I would not be opposed to making another play later in the hand.
3: Well, that's very helpful. Um, I So you folded and that was
0: it.
4: I folded and that was it. I mean, that's, that's, that's the hand. And, you know, a lot of people think, oh, well, what 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 really is there to that hand? You know, you raised pre-flopping attenuation bet with middle pair and got two callers, and that's bad, so now you're check folding. Right. In reality, that it, it turns into a pretty cool plus spot because the guy who called on the button almost certainly does not have a premium hand because he just call if he had two pairs or something, he'd probably raise. And the guy who's leading into me, I think at best, he has a five for top and bottom pair. And at worst, he could have all sorts of stuff. And if he has that all sorts of stuff, he's probably going to fold if I raise. So you always need to at least think about hands that you can turn into bluffs, especially when you're deep stacked against players who are thinking. Now, if your opponents are going to play very straightforward, then, of course, that's kind of silly to even consider turning your hand into a bluff because they're never going to fold. So you always think to know you A lot to
3: think that. about. Uh,
4: well, yeah, of course there's a lot to think about. It's a... The deep stack poker handy, And that's the thing is poker is not an easy game. No. it's to think about, and you have to balance everything.
3: Right. Jonathan, we're going to have to leave it at that, but I want our listeners to know secrets of Professional Tournament Poker Volume 3, the complete workout. They can get a hold of it by going to your website, which is uh, floattheturn.com, or going to the publisher, which is dandbpoker.com, com. Uh, And you're going to come out with a volume four, we heard you say, for final table work. And we look forward to having you back on. Awesome. Thank you for having me. All right. That was Jonathan Little, great poker player, great poker author, great guest. We're going to be right back after a break.
1: Just use offer code B-A-B-E-16 at adamandeve.com. The key to
2: winning poker is knowledge. And winning No Limit Hold'em, the new book by World Series of Poker veteran Ashley Adams, can give you that knowledge. Cash games, small tournaments, whether you're a seasoned player, a novice, or just find yourself losing more often than you win, winning No Limit Hold'em can show every type of player how to consistently win at the game of No Limit Hold'em. You know, it's been said that winning isn't everything, but it sure feels a whole lot better than losing. Get Winning, No Limit Hold'em, the new book by Ashley Adams, and start winning today. Now available at Amazon.com and wherever great books are sold. You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. to the House of cards. I have three jacks and two sixes. What's that called again? A full house. What a cute name. A full house. Is that good?
0: Yes, that means you win.
2: <sighs> again. Oh God, this is almost embarrassing. What is that? Five in a row? What a lovely watch.
3: Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. This is our mailbag segment. And uh, Dave just told me he has an announcement.
2: And that's as far as we talk before. A little behind the scenes for this mailbag section. I don't know anything. You don't know what's going to come out of my mouth first. That's why I want to get the greatest reaction.
3: Well, I just know that you're an attorney, and I trust that what you say is honest and legal. It's
2: absolutely honest, and I don't know how legal it is, but who knows. All right, what do we got? Our listeners now can hear us Saturdays, 8 a.m. in Lake Tahoe. No kidding. K- Lake T- Tahoe. KTHO Radio, AM 590 and 96.1 FM. Wow. That's that covers, fantastic. It covers Lake Tahoe, Reno, Reno Sparks, Sparks, Carson uh, City. You're saying everything. And down to Folsom, California. Folsom. Yep. Wow. Can they hear us at Folsom Prison? I don't know. What's uh We'll post pictures.
3: Probably not a good idea. Wow. Well, that's wonderful <laughs> news. I, I have to admit. Great I, going, guys. How many
2: stations does that make? 90, uh, well, 91? Yeah, right. <laughs> We're going to rule the world soon. Well, I have to admit, I've never been to Lake Tahoe. Oh, it's is great. It? Oh, it? I would love to go there. But w- tell me what the, uh, everyone knows about Reno and the gaming uh, lake, scene. At, what's Lake Tahoe like? Well, Lake Tahoe, first of all, is a beautiful, clear, clear, clear,
3: beautiful, deep lake. And there's a resort, and there are lots of uh, beautiful homes and cottages. And I don't believe they allow any of the classic boating sports like water skiing or anything like that because the lake is pristine. Really? Okay. Um, but So it's not like a spring break site kind
2: of thing. It's, well, uh,
3: skiing. There's skiing. unbelievable okay, yeah.
2: skiing there.
3: And I just love the area because of the casinos. They have... Harveys, and they have. This is
2: all Lake Tahoe, right in Lake Tahoe.
3: Right in Lake Tahoe, okay. um, they have about six casinos right there. The Mountain Blue, uh, and a bunch of others that whose names escape me right now. But I played at all the casinos there when I visited Reno about three or four years ago. Loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had some great promotions going on, and uh, it's very close to Carson City, which is a somewhat not to be disparaging, but somewhat dumpy compared to Lake Tahoe. But for me, it was great. Um, Sorry, Colin. I loved Carson city. city because they had poker, and then I drove up to Sparks and uh, Reno and played poker at the Fandango on the way. And uh,
2: um, Tell me about Reno. We never talked a lot about Reno.
3: Reno's I mean, a great city. It's, it's a
2: little city. It's the biggest little city in the something world. Something like that. Something that? Like that. But <laughs> it's a, a small
3: downtown with lots of casinos. Um, they have great basque. Cooking, B-A-S-Q-U-E, because mm-hmm. the Basques were uh, actually recruited to settle the area to be shepherds, sheep herders, back in the, the turn of the century, 1910 or so, and the family stayed there and prospered. So you get Basque food. You have... Um, I would have never have guessed that. Oh, my wow. gosh, yes. Oh, oh
2: it's it's uh, for what those a historian who, you are. Well, you're well, you're going to be a big hit in Nevada with this. When I go show.
3: to a place I like to find out about the local culture... Um, To me, there was, of course, the Silver Run up there, uh, the Silver Rush, and that got the place going back in like 1905. Um, One of my favorite trips in my life was going to Reno and playing at the 24 different poker rooms in the area, Carson Valley Inn, I think, is that the name of it? There were all these little poker rooms that had, you know, great little games. Uh, I don't. They've been hit by the bad economy. Really, I know that Uh, the Grand Sierra is a beautiful room. They have a big tournament every year, but they've had a hard time getting uh, a lot of players. Um, the El Dorado is there; it's an old classic uh, poker room, wonderful room. Uh, there's the Pepper Mill, which uh, oh,
2: that's famous. Yeah, is that the biggest one there? Or? That's the biggest. It, it I guess it's the most famous.
3: Stole the throne from yeah. the El Dorado when it came to uh, poker. Um, uh, Ganey is the guy that uh, runs the room there and did great things. He. He came up with the innovation of having a tournament where you could cash out at the final table if you wanted to just cash out your your oh, tournament yeah. chips. Oh, you could pretty good leave. idea, yeah. yeah. And uh, he really built that room up. Wonderful. The Aquarius is out there. Uh, they used to have, uh, I think, Circus, not Circus Circus, but there were a whole bunch of uh, downtown casinos. But again, I think it's fallen on somewhat hard times. I don't know if they've recovered. But I loved it. it I, things are close together. You can go. Well, I did, like, seven or eight poker rooms in an evening once. <laughs> did you walk them or? Uh... No, drove. Drove, drove okay. everywhere. There also there were a lot of, like, trucker kind of places that had one or two poker tables. The Bonanza is there.
2: Uh, I'm trying to remember back, but I wrote a whole bunch of articles about poker rooms there for poker. What, what's the smallest, seediest poker room in Reno that you just love? I, I love those stories when, you know, you walked into this crazy-ass poker room, and there's like, four guys. Barely looking up at you. And there was time. a place called Baldini's.
3: I don't know if they still have a poker room, but okay. I remember I got a hat from there. And there was a they allowed smoking. They may have banned it. Uh, they may have closed the room too. But Baldini's was one. And then I went to one called the Silver Something, and it was in the last throes of having poker, but they were closing the poker room and they were closing the casino. Okay. And I was there like the last weekend. Um, there were a couple of other places, but I don't remember their names. There was a place in downtown Carson City where there was just one shorthanded 3-6 limit hold'em game, including uh, the poker room manager was playing <laughs> and an off-duty dealer was playing. And I was there, and they were like one or two real you got, players. you got
2: to love rooms like that when yeah. the employees well, are playing with
3: you. I yeah. do. I I liked it. There was not nearly the glitz and the glamour of Las Vegas or the pretension. It was more, you know, people all felt a sense of camaraderie. They were all in this uh, together, and I liked that a lot in the smaller rooms. Were they basically
2: the grinders playing, or they're not the real? I wouldn't even say oh, grinders. Like, they were
3: retirees the regulars. Okay. There were a lot of regulars, and regular uh, grinder implies somebody who's eking out a profit. Yeah, profit. The regulars, I think it was, you know, their entertainment, and they probably got ground down by the rake. Which uh, was min it was like a, a reasonable rate three dollar maximum at most of the places instead of the four dollars or five or even six now that's become standard, and I really liked it. I found it to be a homey place to go, accessible, friendly people, very inexpensive rooms, mm-hmm. uh, incredibly inexpensive. You could stay some rooms for nineteen dollars a night.
2: I mean we offer wow, for geez. a nice casino room so it was very nice. That's expensive for you though. So what well, <laughs> not the $6 a night things.
3: Well, $8, $8. not 6. But uh but welcome to Tah- our listeners yeah, there.
2: Absolutely. How, uh, how about Lake Tahoe itself? I, I never hear about the poker scene or the gaming scene in Lake Tahoe. I I hear about the skiing and the vacations and things like that. Very
3: nice room. The uh the Mountain Blue was a a beautiful room. They were spreading a game called Tahoe which is I forget, some kind of variation of Omaha, I believe. And then across the street was, well, I'm forgetting. Um, But I would love to go there. And if we now have a radio station that is broadcasting there, we've got to come up with some promotion as an excuse
2: for me to go back there. Oh, absolutely. And I want to give the... uh... People are info, info at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. If you want to give us an email, any questions, any suggestions on where to play when we come out there. and uh,
3: Absolutely. If there are any rooms that have cropped up in the last
2: three or four years that yeah, I might not be
3: familiar with, I'd be
2: happy to yeah. uh, report on them. And give us a call at our hotline at 609-474-4267. What's that number again, Dave? That's 609-474-4267. And our Twitter handle is at hoc radio.
3: And i got to just say... I don't understand why this is, but my blog has had more hits in the last two weeks than I've had for the entire five years before it. It's exploded in popularity. I hope folks will visit it, houseofcardsradio.blogspot.com, or just go to the houseofcardsradio.com. Yeah, we have spot. a link
2: on it on the uh,
3: and uh, and I, I pretty much blog once or even twice a day. I'm going out to Las Vegas. I'll be blogging there. And uh, I'd love to go to Reno and blog about Lake Tahoe and Reno and Sparks and the whole area. So that'll do it for our mailbag segment. Listeners, come back next week and listen to more House of Cards. Until then, good day and good luck.